Thanks, guys. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I think that song aged pretty well, actually. I don't know. That's just me, but uh, I was telling Peter and Spencer this morning, I think that line of what's going on inside of me, I despise my own behavior, is like one of the more relatable lyrics, maybe, ever in a Christian song, at least of that era. Maybe it's a bit strong, but um, I would still maybe say that, so... Uh, anyway, all right, well, welcome again to Hiawatha Church. My name is uh, Chris, as I said before. We are in John, Book of John right now, preaching-wise, so uh, if you have a Bible, want to turn John 8, we'll be in John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30 today. Um, and uh, just by way of recap, remember, uh, as we've kind of been saying now for a few weeks, uh, if you've been here, you've probably sensed this, I think we've, I think we've said it too, but you probably sensed it, that uh, John is a unique gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a bit of a kind of a shared vibe to them. Uh, John's a little bit different. Lots of material shared uh, as well, all the main things, uh, of course, but um, a little bit different. One of the differences is that J- uh, Jesus has these longer discourses, uh, these longer uh, times of teaching, but I think more like conversational discourses on himself uh, a lot, on himself being the son of God uh, and um, other things as well. And so the fact that he, he is the son of God, though, that he's the agent of creation and the agent of salvation itself, that he, uh, he has the right to do this. He has the place to talk about himself in relation to all things. And for us, you know, it'd be selfish or maybe even arrogant to do this and hard to listen to. Uh, but for Jesus, it just isn't because it's right for him to do it. He is the truth. And when he talks about himself, uh, it is the truth. It's the essence of truth. It's the essence of life. And it's also good news for us. It's hope for us. Um, and I think this kind of stuff, this kind of uh, material in John is an expression of how uh, we have all replaced God with ourselves. Uh, the song said that uh, in one of the uh, verses, that the, the disease of self runs through our blood. Uh, that, that is, it goes way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3. It's how the whole story starts. All of history begins with Adam and Eve. Um, we've replaced God with ourselves. We, we've become addicted to the drug of self, and our brains have been rewired through this constant dopamine release of me and I. And Jesus is here then to do a lot of things, to save us ultimately, but in so doing, he reclaims the center. He heals our brains and souls, not simply for his glory and renown, but for our healing and our sanity and our salvation. So, uh, so it's in that vein uh, that today, and Peter said this, uh, but when we talk about Jesus speaking about himself in very high terms, uh, today is the day where Jesus says this uh, very, uh, depends on your background with Bible and church, but this very uh, famous saying, I am the light of the world. And so uh, let's read. Today we're going to be in chapters, or sorry, verses uh, 12 to 30. In chapter 8, we're going to start with verses uh, tw- uh, 12 to 20, taking two sections today, and we'll kind of just walk right through it. So uh, this kind of, again, longer discourse builds on itself. Uh, But just for simplicity's sake, we'll start with the first eight verses here. All right, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. 
They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. All right, so let's go back. We'll start with verse 12. Just going to walk through some of these key uh, verses and sayings here, implications uh, for us theologically, in some cases practically as well. Uh, we'll start with the big one. Again, he starts off here by saying, I am the light of the world. Uh, this, uh, Peter said this as well before that last song, but this is one of Jesus's I am statements in the Gospel of John. There are several, you might be aware. This is the second of seven, actually. So we have uh, five more to go after this if you're keeping count. But, um, but this is something that we've said too. Either a lunatic says or the embodiment of truth himself. Uh, there's, there's not much of a happy middle to statements like this. Um, but I think this is a nice end cap as well, if you're here in, in ch- for chapter one or have read that before. Uh, a nice end cap of sorts, chapter one, when John was referencing Jesus as the true light, which was coming into the world. So more from like an objective standpoint, like, you know, John was saying it. Um, and John the Baptist kind of exemplifies this idea as well, but the author, John, both Johns. Um, but a nice end cap of sorts because, uh, you know, we, we talked about in the earlier chapters how this exemplifies the second creation motif of the New Testament that sees God is working again now spiritually through Jesus to bring light to darkness and order to chaos and even life out of nothing, especially here uh, in, in our hearts. Um, but here in this passage, and this is the end cap I was referring to, Jesus now speaks in the first person. He's saying, I am he. I, I am the one that John was speaking of. I am the one that John the Baptist prepared the way for. I am that light. I am the light of the entire world. Uh, and, and so it, by this, uh, he's not saying um, that there's this way of living that is the light that you should follow or, or, uh, or take up. Uh, nor is he saying you are the light of the world, though later the church will be because he will live in us. But rather he says, I am the light. And I think that's really good news for those of you who are tired of trying to be the light, who are trying to change the world, um, whether it's in your corner of the world or globally. uh, It's a tiring, impossible task. And actually something that God doesn't really ask you to do individually. You may not not, not be aware of that. Uh, But if you're exhausted and tired of trying to be the light or be the change, um, Jesus says, it's actually okay. I am that for you. Uh, and and this, there's, there's no blend to this. There's no qualification or asterisks. He is the light, not you, not what you do, not what you bring. We bring nothing to the table uh, in terms of, of salvation. And so then when he says uh, at the end of this verse, uh, follow me or uh, all, all those who follow me as, as the light will not walk in darkness anymore. That's, that's an amazing hope, isn't it? it it's, of course, of course it, it's... Uh, it means that we are walking in darkness without him. But he says, when you follow me, I will light your path. I will warm you like the sun. And I will ultimately save you and bring life from nothing in your hearts. Because that's what God did in the beginning with the first creation, which informs this one. There was nothing, and he spoke into it, and things became that weren't. Just like when we're saved now in the new creation, he speaks not into our pre-existing goodness as if there's something there for him to work with. Uh, but he speaks into the nothing that's within us, and says, let there be life. Let there be something. Uh, let there be eternal life. Let, let there be a, a new identity for uh, this former enemy who is now my son or my daughter. 
All right, so this is kind of a revisitation then of something we've already talked about in the series, but Jesus makes it, he kind of dials it up to 11 here a little bit. But we're also uh, seeing here in, chapter, in verse 13, we're also revisiting another theme that we saw. I believe this is chapter 6, I think, um, so a little bit ago. But this theme of witness, this idea of witness uh, from a few weeks back, where, where the Pharisees are up in arms over the apparent lack of witnesses backing Jesus' claim. Uh, even this claim here, when he says, I am the light of the world, they're, they're kind of saying, well, who says? Who said so? Or where'd you get that? And we do this as well when we kind of want something to be backed, right? When someone kind of brings this big claim to us or this big piece of news that's hard to believe uh, or just kind of way out there, we say, well, who, who said that, right? It's maybe not because we don't trust the person, but there's just something in us that wants a witness or a secondary source to, to corroborate and, and bring something else to it so we can all the more put our trust in it. And so the Pharisees are like, uh, you don't have that. Your testimony is not true because you're speaking yourself. And they're actually referencing a law in the Old Testament that required this. The Old Testament law required that two witnesses back to claim. Uh, and Jesus himself mentions this in verse 17, which we'll get to in a second. But Jesus does two things with this idea. He kind of like, in one sense, throws them a bone. But in another sense says, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're right in sensing that change is here. You're right in sensing that I'm different. All right, so... So first he says, he plays along and says, well, I do have a witness, the biggest one being God the Father. I've witnesses, actually going back to chapter 6, where he talks about Scripture and John the Baptist and God the Father. But here he says, uh, I am not alone. When I speak, the Father speaks. And so my Father, God the Father, is a witness. And so my testimony is true, based on what you're saying here. Um, but he also says, in, in verse 14, that... Um, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. So isn't that interesting? He actually uh, is a qualifier himself. He actually is um, bending this rule. He's bending the law. He's saying th this applies to you if you're a human, uh, or just a human being, which is all, which is all of us. Uh, but he's saying, but I, as God's son, am above it. Uh, if I speak on my own authority, uh, I don't need a witness. If I speak on my own, I am enough. And I really like this qualification. It's actually a really big deal uh, in not just this passage, I would say in all of John, but it's kind of a qualifier in how much it tells us about the gospel because it's essentially saying when it comes to us, we are not enough on our own. Uh, our testimony is not enough on its own according to the Bible. Just like our works are not sufficient, what we do for God or people or for ourselves, it's not enough. It it's never, never was, never meant to be. And, and, like the, and like the gospel isn't about justifying ourselves, uh, like we're in a courtroom. You know, like your testimony about yourself before God is not the way the Bible paints reality. That's not how you should think, as though um, he's going to come back and, and you have to sort of uh, vouch for yourself and tell him what you've done and justify yourselves before him. Basically what this is saying or implying is that's invalid. It's an invalid way to think about Christianity and about future judgments and about God and about the gospel. But what this is saying is that what we really need is a secondary source. We need someone outside of us to justify us and to advocate for us. Uh, with Jesus, though, we see that he is enough. He 
Even though he's fully human, he's perfect. He is also the son of God, and he's above all of this. He does not need any backing or assistance when it comes to anything, uh, but especially with salvation. He does it on his own because he's God. And I like how he actually even calls, um, in verse 17, you meant this may have stuck out to you, I don't know, but he, he says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And it's interesting Jesus says this, right? Because uh, he's God, and he wrote the thing for crying out loud. So why is he saying it's your law? Like in, in your law, in, in your Old Testament, uh, it, it says this, and he's quoted from Deuteronomy here. Which is odd because, again, he's the author of it. But I think in a lot of ways, he also speaks in and through John. He's going to do this again, actually, um, before John's all said and done. But he's also acted this way earlier in that he, he speaks as though the law is theirs, as though it's not really his, uh, as though it pertains to a dying system, as though he's, he's here to pass it up. Uh, like he does in this passage. The, the law says you need two witnesses. Jesus says, I don't actually. And so he, he's, uh, he's passing up the, the former glory of the former, the partial glory of a former system. He's replacing it with himself. And to draw, God, to draw people to God himself uh, as a new kind of mediator. Um, in fact, there's uh, two additional ways we see this contrast here. One, uh, I'll just kind of like go back and reference this uh, broad scale, but you can go back and read if you want in Exodus. But in the book of Exodus, when the law was given through Moses, it says it was given in darkness. You guys remember that? Like it got pitch black and people are covering their ears. They couldn't bear to listen, all that stuff. It wasn't, wasn't a great thing. Um, but the law was given in darkness. So it makes sense here that Jesus would be called what? The light. Because light and darkness are opposites, just like grace and law are opposites. Okay, so when Jesus comes then, to quote John 1.17 again, Moses did this, he gave the law, but, but actually Jesus now hears something different to, to bring grace and truth. It makes sense he would be the light. It makes sense that his, the, the testament he would inaugurate uh, would be a light testament, not a dark one. Uh, the law actually um, darkened our path. It made it harder to get to God. But actually with, with Jesus, it's very different. With Jesus, we can actually see. That's why he opens people's eyes as well so they can see light, whereas they formerly couldn't. Uh, the second thing is, also in verse 17, you see here that, uh, or actually, no, you don't see it here. Do you see it here? Yes, you do. Uh, this is the second part of verse 17. You see that Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. In other words, what you do with your body or your hands or your deeds. But Jesus says, I judge no one. And so what, what he's saying here is, um, in the Pharisees, or the priestly figures represent the law, uh, they represent a law-based law way of thinking and judgment. Uh, they're saying, you judge according to what people do with their, with their time, how obedient they are, uh, how, how much they keep the laws of God. That's how you judge people. Are they good at that or not? Are they keeping it or not? Are they pure by way of doing it or not? But Jesus says, I don't bring that kind of judgment. And he's not saying, I don't bring any kind of judgment. He actually says elsewhere that even if I do judge, my judgment is true. But he is saying, there's a new crux. He's saying, I am the crux. I am the axis around which judgment rotates. So now to be saved is either to know me or to reject me and to be damned. That's the crux. Not what you do, but whether or not you believe in me. That is a wholesale, complete shift from Old to New Testament, covenantally speaking. It is not based on your moral efforts, but completely around me and what you do with me. 
You judge according to the flesh. I don't. I judge in a different way. Do you receive me into your life? Do you believe in me? Like the people in this passage will do, I don't think we read that yet, but later. They start to believe in him. They start to trust in him. And through that, they're saved. Very bad people, we can presume, because all are. But they're believing and they're being transformed by, by his grace. Or to put it differently still, in verse 19, he says, if you knew me, you would know my father. And uh, this, again, this goes back to chapter 6 as well, if you're here for that. But he, he's saying, we can't know God without Jesus. You and I cannot know God in any sense without Jesus. At best, it's dim. It's, it's a glimmer. It's a flicker. Um, but he's saying, you cannot know him without knowing me. We, we could literally be a perfect human being morally, but not know God if we didn't know Jesus and him crucified. All right, so I want to make sure that's clear. We could be a perfect human being morally, but still be just as far away from God as the worst person on earth if we didn't know Christ and him crucified. This is how radical his teaching is, especially for people that don't know this yet or who are operating with a different kind of axis around which they presume judgments and acceptance and um, salvation rotate. But Jesus is saying that, no, it's only me. I am that axis. Uh, You think you know God for your acts of obedience and works, but I'm saying to you, you don't know him at all because you don't know me. Not at all. Because you don't know me. I am his ultimate revelation. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the access point. I'm the, I'm the wisdom. I'm the knowledge. I'm the salvation. And as he says here, I actually light up your way. I light your path. And it's through knowing me, relating to me, believing in me. And what I'm about to do, and they don't know this yet, but what I'm about to do at Calvary, at Golgotha, when I die on the cross for the sins of the world, that is the doorway. There is no other. All right, let's keep reading. Verses 21 to 30. He keeps going. So he said to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. All right, the conversation continues. Let's back up to verse 21. Uh, He says, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Ouch. All right, but then they ask, well, will he kill himself? Uh, And and is that what he means by going away? Is he he planning to kill himself? And the answer to that is kind of um, interesting, right? I was thinking about uh, that this week, in that the answer is, well, no. 
but kind of, yes, I guess, but no. Uh, because uh, what do we call it when someone dives in front of a bullet for a loved one? Like, we don't call that suicide, right? But we do call it maybe a willing death, like knowing someone, knowing you're going to die, being willing uh, to die for someone else. Like, in, in that sense, you're, I guess, killing yourself, but not in a suicidal way. And so it's interesting that they say this, not really knowing what they're saying, but it's almost like they're sort of kind of on the right track uh, in knowing that, yeah, that's what he means. It's like when he dies, you can't go with him, nor can you go with him to die for the sins of the world. That's completely God's doing, not ours. We'll come back to that, but first I want to back up a little bit here, and um, I think it's important to see how Jesus has to quote from verse 26, how he has much to say about us. Um, If you're new to the gospel, this is how the Bible talks a lot. There's kind of this dark background um, that Jesus shines against as a bright foreground. And the dark background is us and our state and our rebellion, other things as well. But, But here it's interesting, it says, oh, I have much to say about you, which kind of like, and it's more than what I'm about to say here, but, um, but, but there are things he does say about humanity here that, that are true about everyone in the room. Even if you're not a Christian yet or are a Christian, it's kind of the same. Though if you're a Christian, these aren't maybe as true as they were. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. I'll explain that. Uh, but he adds in verse 23, he says, you are, from below, you are from below, I am from above. So look at just the, the stark opposites here, right? Jesus says, you can't get more opposite than, than these statements. You're, you're from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. All right, so uh, maybe you guys remember from a few weeks ago uh, when I was talking about how Jesus is the opposite of a motivational speaker. You guys here for that? Um, well, we're seeing it here today as well. We're seeing it spill over into this week's passage. It, it is a, um, a, a low anthropology. Uh, it, it is a, a, a low view of self that gets to the heart of what the gospel is. Not to make us feel bad about ourselves, but to exalt Christ and to show how different he is uh, and to show that we don't cooperate with him and to show, our, show us our need for him. All right, so here's, here's the, basically the things from this passage. There's other things we could add. He says, uh, you are not the light. It's implied, right? He says, you will die in your sin. You are from below. You can't go where I am going. You do not know God. He's saying this, by the way, to the pastors of the day. Think how that would feel. Think how offensive that would be. This is saying to, um, who's the best twin, twin right now? Byron Buxton or something like that. Uh, you don't know baseball. Like, you know nothing about baseball, he'd be like. I'm looking at Andy. You play baseball, right? Um, it, it's, it's that kind, it is that kind of sting. You know, it, it just, again, to say that um, you don't know God based on your law keeping to lawyers and, and the law followers of the day is incredibly offensive. Incredibly. Uh, this is why they wanted to kill him, right? We have to let the New Testament inform our view of Jesus uh, and not just what we think we know, you know? I think I heard Elisa uh, uh, Childers say this week, she posted something about how you, you can't let uh, memes and books and other people or whatever, well-intentioned people even, inform your view of Jesus if you come to the Bible and it's different, you know? It's like, if, 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 like, you're hearing about Jesus over here and you come to the Bible and you're like, whoa, it's different, or that's, like, shocking or offensive, like, well, maybe you're not hearing about him right over here, right? But anyway, all right, so, so he's saying you don't know God, you, and then you will kill God's son, which is what he means 
when he says, when you lift me up. When you lift me up on the cross, it is a, it is a cruciform statement here. When you kill God's son, when you lift him up on the cross. So, um, so all these things are, um, they kind of put people in their place, right? Uh, again, he's not, Jesus is not an insulter. He is a truth speaker. He's saying these things in love. Um, but they are a low anthropology. They, 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 keep us, they keep us low. And, and I think what's interesting when you look at this and you think, well, that's not really an encouraging TED Talk. Uh, you, you, but you do see truth here. And what's interesting is that when the gospel comes to us, um, some of these things, they're not all created equal. Some of these things are sins that are forgiven, uh, like our rebellion against God. Some of these things are remedied, like not knowing God. Now, now Christians know God because knowledge has come to us and Jesus has pulled the veil up. Some of these things are modified, I would say, like being or not being the light. Uh, the church, uh, the church it, Christians and the church are the light because the light lives within us. Right? So we're not the light, but it's, so it's a modification of the idea, not a complete wholesale uh, way of life fix, if you want to call it that. But some of these actually remain as is. If you're a Christian, uh, some of these things are actually still true uh, about you and about me. Um, in, in other words, uh, well, like the two things in the middle, really, like uh, from being, being from below, that, that's not different. That hasn't changed. We are from below. And that's not, that's not a bad thing necessarily. It's actually good to remember this. Um, and also, the uh, idea of you can't go where I, am, where I am going. So by all this, I mean in, in Christianity, we don't, um, you know, post-conversion, we don't ascend. Uh, but stay in a state of reception. Uh, I was talking to our um, practical theology class a few weeks ago. Some of you were in that class. But we, we talked about this idea it's come up a lot in John, actually, the, the orientation idea. Um, so I know this is repetitious, but it's repetitious because it's important. Um, and, it's, and Jesus underlines these things, and John does, because they're central to the gospel. But I was talking about how in the very end of the book uh, of the Bible, you guys remember in Revelation where it says, where, where John opens his eyes in, in um, one of his last visions, same guy, actually, who wrote Gospel of John. He, he gets this vision, end of his life, and he sees the heavens open, and heaven comes down to earth. Do you remember that? Like, heaven comes out of heaven, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, it comes down to us, it comes down to earth. There's this descending idea of when Jesus comes back in the end, he's going to come this way again. And uh, we were talking about this because it's kind of like one final demonstration of God saying, even in the end, even when I come back, you will not go up to heaven. I will come down to you. And I will bring all of myself to you. And I will raise your bodies from the dust. And I will dwell with you here on a new and glorified earth. And, and that might be like super basic. And that's great if it is, if you've heard that a thousand times. But a lot of you, I'm guessing, don't have that. Like thought. You, you've, you've been taught that, that um, good people, who are people who believe in Jesus or are just good or whatever, uh, go up to heaven. And that's just not true. Uh, always, always, always God comes here. There's no asterisk, there's no qualification to that, no exception. In the very end, this final way of God saying, I want you guys, if it wasn't clear, I want you to know how much I love you and how much I'm not asking you to come up to me, nor am I even drawing you up to me. I am coming 
down. I am bringing heaven here. It's actually on our statement of faith. If, if you're a member of our church, you've, you've uh, ascribed, it's very creedal. This is, a, this is basic Christian theology, actually, that the future is very earthly. It's not heavenly. It, it's a marriage of heaven and earth, but it, we, we will live in these very bodies that we have right here somehow. We don't know how that's all going to work. Um, but we will. He will raise our loved ones from the dead. We will see their face and we'll recognize them. Just like Jesus rose from that. It's very earthly. He will come. He'll bring heaven here. It's, it's a descending thing. And so, anyway, all that to say, back to John, um, we're from below. And that, that stays that way eternally. Uh, there's a reason why here in verse 24 it says, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. So that actually is a solution to... Jesus saying, oh, by the way, you're going to die in your sins. Like, whoa. But he says, well, there's a solution. If you believe in me. He doesn't say, unless you start living like the light, then you will not die in your sins. He says, unless you believe in me, the light. He does not point us to behavior, but to belief as the solution. That's crucial to see. He does not point us to behavior. He points us to belief as the solution. Uh, Augustine, in the fourth century, about this verse, commented, and he said, Jesus says, believe, not comprehend. Same idea. Jesus says, believe here, not fully understand. Uh, Again, the point being, salvation is not this drawing up to heaven uh, of of us by God or or a rote acquisition of higher knowledge. Uh, The Bible actually talks about the dangers of high knowledge. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, I think 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. But there's this, uh, Gnosticism was a big deal in the first couple centuries of the church, if you know what that is, I'll go into that today. Uh, but how, again, this idea of if I just know more, more knowledge, more and more stuff in my brain will ascend me higher. Uh, it actually has led Christians away from the faith to think that way because they have this wrong directionality to the idea of uh, it's us going up versus God uh, coming here. Nor, again, is, nor is it an ascension to a higher form of living per se, but again, a constant state of receiving the descending grace of God. It reminded me of an article I read a long time ago. Some of you may have read this um, as well. It's been a long time, but uh, a couple of women wrote this name. So Jennifer Bain, Singer and Himlicky, they were seminarians who wrote an article on um, predestination, actually. But I'm not going to, like, today's sermon's not on predestination, so I hung up on that word. Uh, But there's this idea of, um, they would say our theology went from, it moved, it changed, from um, being too us-centered to being more, more God-centered. Uh, they, they, had, they had a theology of uh, more I choose God and I, I'm drawn up to him rather than God comes down and, and decides to choose us and, and love us. And they, they just wrote this article on how that changed their life. And so this is just a small glimpse into how this is, this is actually a truth that really can free you. That's the whole, I, I, I care about, as one of your pastors here, I care about the truth I care about reading the Bible correctly. I also care about your freedom. I also care about your joy in the day-to-day. And that comes from places that might be unsuspecting uh, to to you. But anyway, let me just read a couple of verses, or verses, uh, uh, sentences from um, this this article. They say, Ironic as it sounds, accepting predestination into our lives was the most freeing thing that had ever happened to us spiritually. We were free to be creatures again. We no longer had the burden of trying to be the creator. Once we stopped trying to interfere with the things above us, we had the energy and motivation to concentrate on the things around us, which is our proper task anyway. 
our gratitude overwhelms us. And that is the real motivation behind our actions. We're not particularly trying to obey the law. This stuff just happens. It wells up out of us like a spring. All right? And that's where all of this is headed. Uh, This is about gratitude. This is about something Jesus does that we look at, we believe in, and we're moved by and we're thankful for. Uh, Verse 28 gets at it. Jesus says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he. Then you'll know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. All right? So, so at this point, uh, we've said a lot of things today. Um, we've had our head in the clouds a little bit, though, uh, on some level. Maybe you can understand why the disciples here to Jesus are saying, I don't really get it. Um, it it's high theology. It's heavenly. At the same time, though, um, this is where the clarity comes rushing in. It's Jesus' death. It's his lifting up on the cross that shows us God. That's how we know God is through Jesus' death. It's through his lifting up. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, then you'll know know me. Then you'll know I'm the Son, I'm the Messiah, and you'll know God. True knowledge of God only comes through the cross. His ultimate descension to our level in order to die for our sins. Again, it's not in the law, not in creation, not in you, but ultimately the bloody body of Jesus Christ. Uh, According to Jesus himself, he's saying here, there is no other point of knowledge, no bit of wisdom, no act of piety, or point of high philosophy It's only his death that reveals to us who God truly is. But it gets even better when he says, I speak just as the Father taught me. So what what he's saying here is that God taught me to, 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 to go to the cross and to sort of speak to you through the cross, but it's actually God the Father who's speaking to us through Jesus. Remember the transfiguration? where the three disciples are on the mountain and there's a big cloud and God speaks in the cloud and God says, this is my son, listen to him. Like it's, it, 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 again, God is saying, I'm speaking again and in a different way and now I want you to listen to him. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 says the same thing. But here, Jesus, this is Jesus' angle on this, he's just saying that I speak only what the Father teaches me to speak. I speak just as the Father taught me. And, and if you lump this with what is here in this verse, it's saying God speaks suffering love. God speaks through the cross. It's through Jesus' death that he consoles us and he tells us who he is. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Christian or not, many of, maybe today, uh, but Christian or not, you guys have had these many moments in your life where you've said, I, I don't know who God is. I don't feel close to him. He's an alien to me. What Jesus is saying here then is so incredibly amazing. That he's saying, I'm telling you what he is like. And I'm telling you the one way to know. It's look at me, but specifically look at me when I'm lifted up on the cross. Look at me when I'm dying in your place and for you. Because it's there that God says in very, very plain language, I did not withhold my one and only son from you, but I gave him up for you 
in love. That's what John 8 is saying to us right now in this very room. If we have ears to hear and eyes to see, that's what he's saying. In the plainest of language, I did not withhold my one and only son, but I gave him up. That is my character trait that matters. That, that, that is what will last forever. That is my position toward you, my posture towards you. I loved you that much, and so did my son. See, his word to you is, isn't that he has something for you to do or a word of condemnation over your sin. Remember John 3 says, I didn't come to condemn. Uh, but instead, it's a word of grace. It's a declaration of love via a willing death on, on our behalf. And I think there's a reason why all this is spoken in the treasury from verse 20, uh, because these things are worth so stinking much. All of it. Because he is worth so much. The fact that your God bled for you is worth so incredibly much. As it says elsewhere in Ephesians 2, 7, the gospel is the riches of his grace. So uh, Christians are called, we're poor, we have nothing, uh, we have no money, we're poor in spirit, and yet we are rich and wealthy in his grace. And, and it's through that that light shines to us, uh, the light of the world shines to us um, the brightest. When again, God says, I've paid it all and I've given you my everything, my very self. Know God through me, he says. Know God through my bloody death. Know God through, my, through that ultimate act of love and you'll be saved.